Welcome to the Idaho Reports Podcast. I'm producer Ruth Brown. Today, I'm joined by Kelsey Mosley-Morris of the Idaho Capital Sun. We'll walk through some legislation that could change the way the state appoints judges. Thanks for joining me, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So House Bill 782 passed the House in a 44 to 24 vote last week. It would significantly change the way the state handles the Judicial Council. For listeners who may not know, the Judicial Council is a nonpartisan council that currently is responsible for uh, vetting attorneys and recommending them to the governor to be appointed as judges. Uh, they're also responsible for handling any disciplinary action among judges. Uh, can you walk me through some of what this bill would do? So this bill is a version of um, a couple different previous bills that is significantly different from the last version that they had in that it's expanding the Judicial Council from seven members, I think, to 11. Um, and that is a change that hasn't happened since the 67 when this was originally implemented. It was implemented as a way to make the process nonpartisan. Um, so they've had this seven member council forever. It would expand it to 11. It would um, change kind of how the appointment process works. It would change it from the consent of um, the bar, the state bar, which is responsible for licensing attorneys and keeping them in line and put that power with the Supreme Court who would then appoint or send a list of appointments to the governor. Governor would choose from that and then the Senate would confirm. Um, and currently there's a little bit more power with the council to do that whole process. This would significantly change it to the governor's purview where he could reject one list too um, of appointments and then it would cut down the um, terms from six years to four years, which there wasn't really a reason articulated for that other than it would keep some more freshness on the council. And it would also change how many um, attorneys would be representing different areas of law. So some of them would have to be civil, predominantly is the word that they use, which doesn't really give you a specific uh, way of calculating that. but predominantly civil, predominantly criminal, predominantly public defense type things. Um, and so that's different from the previous versions of the bills as well. And it would also make the comments um, surrounding the nomination process public, which some people have worried about a, a chilling effect on people who are submitting those comments and making them honest. And especially if you're gonna put these in front of judges, um, <laughs> judges that you're gonna have cases in front of presumably, you're not gonna really be honest about what you think if they if you have a problem with them. So there's quite a few different changes in there and it's a, what, seven page bill? <laughs> it's yeah. pretty lengthy. And um, this is something that they introduced on a Wednesday and passed on a Friday. So it's been hard to kind of keep track of all the things that they're trying to change. Sure. So I think folks that maybe aren't a member of the Idaho State Par don't always recognize how this process works. Um, the bar along with the Board of Commissioners um, send a list of nominees to the governor, and the governor can then uh, choose from those nominees. And I think the concern is the uh, governor would now be able to um, not select, he could reject the entire slate of nominees. Is that correct? Correct, once. Yeah. Uh, what is uh, the concern around keeping that balance of power between the judiciary and the executive branch? Was that discussed at all? It was by Democrats, at least. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they talked about kind of muddying the waters between the two, and this would be the most significant transfer of gubernatorial authority over the judiciary in many years. Um, and this is something that they said, you know, since 1967, it's been working pretty dang well, 
And it, <laughs> it was very strange during debate uh, to have Ron Nate, Representative Ron Nate, on the side of Democrats <laughs> on an issue, which tells you, I think, that he served on the Judicial Council for six years, and he said, you know, it was remarkably nonpartisan, it was remarkably nonpolitical, and this is something that would potentially really make the process very political, and he didn't like that, and neither did Democrats, and along with some other Republicans who have expressed some concerns. Sure. Uh, Linda Wright Harkin made an interesting note. She made note that some of the representatives currently in their seats are appointed, but eventually they will um, be on the ballot and could potentially have a, a challenger. Uh, when a judge is appointed by the governor, they also have to be um, eventually on a ballot. Is that correct? And yeah. Can you walk was, me through that? This was a concern that uh, Representative Cheney, Greg Cheney, brought up a couple times about how a lot of judges will retire before the end of their term so that they can help kind of choose their successor instead of going to the ballot and, you know, letting it be an open process. And so some people think that that's not fair because then you're just kind of playing the game. Um, but as to her point, you know, that, that'll happen with a representative in a lot of different cases where they will resign early or they'll get elected and then they'll resign a few weeks in so that they can help have a say in who's next. Um, and they help develop that list and then, um, but the, the next round, that person is still up for election and so they still are subject to voter, um, a voter saying you need to go. Um, but also with, with the judicial process, it's, it's kind of like, uh, who knows who the judges are besides <laughs> attorneys and some other really important people, you know? Sure. When I look at a ballot and I look at the judges, I'm like, okay. I don't, sure. I usually leave them blank because I don't yeah. even know who they are. Right. Uh, and that's an excellent point. Um, and so, you know, I think some of the sponsors about have argued that this will bring transparency. I think you're right, when people go to the ballot, they often don't recognize the name of the judge, uh, particularly district judges who only handle felony cases or civil cases that are of significant value. They're not small claims. And so maybe if you um, own a very valuable business that has been sued, you right. would go before a district judge, but um, most folks for divorce, custody cases, they're gonna go before a magistrate. Um, and I kind of think that's how it should be is sure I don't think I should know who those judges are or be targeting them for their decisions you know I, I kind of like that it's a, a part a process where I'm like oh, I don't know who that judge is hopefully they'll be um, impartial sure but I, I think to their point you know if you start singling out people and you know making them um, high profile it, it, it will muddy the process between the three branches of government and I know there are states where judges um, are partisan. They pick a party and they have to campaign and it becomes uh, very difficult to campaign. I will say both Justice Brody and Justice Zahn will be on the ballot and they do not have challengers. It is pretty rare for judges to have challengers, especially on the district level. Um, but there have been judges, uh, excuse me, justices that have lost their seat. Uh, former Justice uh, Silak was challenged and mm. lost her seat. Um, Justice Brody previously had challengers and she prevailed, but um, I, occasionally people will give them a run for their money. Uh, what do the sponsors argue that the purpose of this is? Well, like I said, with, with uh, Representative Cheney, I think it was an argument of you know making somebody responsible to elected officials um, who represent the people. 
Um, and then there's a piece of the, the survey comments and um, the selection process that they want to be more public so that people understand the reasons why they were or weren't selected. Um, and so to Representative Kirby's point during debate, you know, if you don't get selected, you have no idea why. And there's no real transparency around what you could improve, what people said about you, all that kind of stuff. But like I was saying before, that can have a, a chilling effect on the honesty of the comments. Um, and then, you know, Senator Abby Lee has been one of the people pushing this as uh, the most. Um, and she really pushed the transparency piece as well. Um, and there's been a couple different times in the last few years that I think some of their appointments that they thought were going to happen didn't happen. And so that might be part of why they're pushing for that piece um, is to figure out if they can make those things more public, if there's more accountability around that so that there's more pressure to select who they think should be selected. That's just my speculation though. <laughs> sure. Uh, so a lot of legislators focused, excuse me, focused on the timing of this. Representative Rebell made the point that the bill's only been public for 48 hours. Um, do you have any insight into what the timing uh, of this legislation is? Yeah, uh, there was a couple different attempts. I've heard from different people that they've been working on this since like the summer, you know, trying to get something together. Um, and so it's been a fairly long negotiating process. Um, I'm not clear on who they were negotiating with exactly, but on a prior version, I think it was 660, a House bill that Cheney um, authored was put in front of um, Supreme Court Chief Justice Richard Bevin. Um, and he didn't have a whole lot of feedback on it. It wasn't doing as nearly as much as this bill. Um, it wasn't expanding the council. It wasn't changing the terms. It wasn't prescribing like what areas of law they had to practice in. And so he was like, you know, I, I, I see the need for this. I, I see the need for some changes, but I'm not sure this is the route we want to go. Um, and he proposed a 12 member blue ribbon committee made of, of judges and attorneys and members of the public to kind of troubleshoot through these things and see what they could get done. Uh, I heard that <laughs> Justice Bevin left the country on Wednesday on a long planned vacation and it was the same afternoon that this was introduced um, in the Ways and Means Committee. This big sweeping bill that they just kind of put forward and then Thursday, I think it was Thursday, the Judiciary Rules Committee met to hear it and it was a very contentious committee meeting. Um, where there were a couple different motions on the table to like leave it on the committee table, to send it without a recommendation to the floor, to various different things. And some people changed their minds while they were in the committee. And there was like a motion while a judge was like uh, giving her testimony um, to send it to the floor, which I really don't see happen very often. Usually they let people have their say and then they kind of go for it. But I was told that there was um, texts coming from leadership to people on the committee during that whole hearing about, you know, you need to vote yes for this. And so it was just a very bizarre kind of proceeding that I'm not used to seeing. It's usually very considered very, you know, regimented kind of process. And so it's been this kind of harried thing that they've been trying to push forward. And on the Senate side, I haven't seen it come up yet. So it's going to be interesting to see if it flies through the same at the same rate um, once it gets to committee. Some former justices have written to uh, legislators about this. Do you know what some of their concerns were? Yeah, the, I think it was five members of like retired justices um, sent a letter to Greg Cheney 
saying that they, they thought it would be better to have a committee um, to really study this and be, have judicial input and um, have it really be a considered process. And they didn't speak too much to the expansion of the council, um, but they talked a lot about the, the transparency piece and how that would have an effect on um, who puts comments forward and, and the whole um, vetting of that process. Because currently they, they think that those candidates are very well vetted and very um, high quality because of the process, the way that it, that it is. And so that was, I think, their main concern um, was the, the publicity of those records. We talked about what the sponsors' goals were, some of what the opposition uh, has to say, justices. Uh, the legislature has, in recent history, very recent history, seen the Idaho Supreme Court push back to some of their legislation, uh, particularly a uh, recent piece of legislation in 2021 regarding ballot initiatives. Uh, in the summer, though, the Idaho Supreme Court also issued an opinion regarding standing uh, revolving around full-day kindergarten. So I think that's normal to see the branches of government push back against each other, but have you heard, has that been brought up among um, either leadership or the opposition, the fact that the Supreme Court has pushed back against the legislation that's moved through? It definitely has from the opposition. I haven't heard much of that from anybody else, but uh, when it comes to redistricting, I think as well, they were not super happy with how that all turned out. So um, I think from the opposition's perspective, this this is court packing for the, from their view. Um, so that the, the Senate, which there's a super majority of Republicans in the Senate, there's a Republican governor. Um, and when you look at the super majority in the House as well, there's just a preponderance of um, political will for, um, the legislature's bills that they get through to be um, ruled constitutional, which often they are not. And there's been some um, bills around the, the attorney general and things that they're trying to do with the constitutional defense fund. And so there's quite a few different things that are pointing that direction if, if that's what you're looking for. Um, and so I think definitely from their perspective, that's what this is trying to do and that's why they're ramming it through so fast. Um, that's what I've heard. Okay. Well, it still needs to go before the Senate, correct? Correct. All right. So we'll follow it moving forward. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything I forgot to ask? No, I would, I would say on the Senate side, um, JFAC, the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee, approved a trailer bill yesterday to um, fund the salaries that are also included in this bill, which I guess that's something to bring up, is the previous versions of this were not tied with judicial salaries, and then they stuck that in there as a, a piece to, I'm not sure what the goal was, but some people have accused it of being like a, um, I don't know what the word is for it, <laughs> a carrot dangling, you know, um, with this, these changes to the Judicial Council. We're gonna, I think it includes an increase to salaries for some, and then like a percentage change to some salaries. So one yeah. of the things that Judge, Janelle Carrick um, brought up was she didn't like that it was tied with salaries because that didn't make any sense. And that was something that on the floor, some people changed their votes because of too. They were like, oh, I don't like that it's tied in with that. So the Senate has also been holding two different bills that deal with salaries, I think, to see what the outcome of this is first, so. When we say salaries, you're referring to the salaries that judges. Correct. Uh, yeah, they talked a bit about that in uh, several committees actually. Uh, I think it's pretty common knowledge that uh, 
judges are public servants, so they don't, um, well, they're not paid as well as they are in other states. Also, in private practice, I think it's pretty common for lawyers to make more money than they could as a, a judge, which is why you often have judges who are former prosecutors, former public defenders. They're right. used to um, public salaries. And that's been a hard thing with recruitment, is it's hard to say to an attorney, shut down your whole practice and go make less money uh, sure. with no con um, guarantee that you're going to be reelected. Sure. So it's, it's a hard sell sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I know the bar talked about that quite a bit as well. So uh, we'll see how it moves through the Senate. But until then, Kelsey Mosley Morris, Idaho Capital Sun, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marcia Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.